Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Melissa Stuttered, and I'd like to welcome you to Teferit Talk, the blog talk radio show for Teferit, a journal of spiritual literature. Our goal at the journal is to promote peace in the individual and in the world through writing. Our bi-monthly blog talk program supports this goal by interviewing writers and religious and spiritual leaders. In addition to listening today, you're invited to join our online community at www.teferitjournal.com. That's T-I-F-E-R-E-T journal.com, where you can read and post writings interact with other members, and subscribe to the journal. The ferret is the center column in the tree of life and means heart, compassion, and reconciliation of opposites. Our interview this afternoon is with Julia Cameron, an award-winning poet, playwright, filmmaker, and novelist who has published over 30 books. In addition to her own prolific output, she's a celebrated mentor, teacher, and guide to many others through her workshops and best-selling books on creativity. The Artist's Way has sold over 2 million copies worldwide, and her follow-up bestsellers, The Vein of Gold, Walking in This World, and The Right to Write, are also considered seminal texts in the creative process. Advocating creativity as an authentic spiritual path, Cameron's work has been embraced by diverse spiritual and religious groups around the globe and is widely taught in both academic and grassroots settings. We would like to let you know as well that our Blog Talk chat room is currently open, and we are also accepting callers for this episode of The Ferret Talk. Our call-in number is 347-857-3009. Thank you so much for joining us. We're looking forward to a fantastic exploration of the creative process. Julia, hi, are you there? I'm here. Are we connected? We are, and we're on the air. It's wonderful to hear your voice. Thank you. It's good to hear yours. It sounds like a, like a wonderful idea for uh, a site. Oh, thank it, you. How are you doing this afternoon? Well, good. I spent my morning uh, down at the Chelsea Studios watching a a run-through of my roommate's new musical. And, oh, how wonderful. Uh, it was just terrific. So I have had a very creative day so far. Well, that sounds wonderful. Um, I'd like to actually get started by asking you a pretty basic question about creativity, so that's a good lead into to that. Um, as you know, there are a lot of people who are skeptical about whether or not creativity can be taught, and um, I think you would say that what you do is actually teach people to access their creativity. And I was wondering if you could explain how this works and what some of the basic tools are, like your morning pages and the artist's state. Well, first of all, I want to say that uh, I don't run into too much skepticism. Uh, 
Oh, uh, that's wonderful. You know, I occasionally will get someone who says to me, Julia, aren't you afraid you're unblocking an awful lot of bad art? And what I have <laughs> to say to them is that actually my experience is just the opposite, that uh, when when people are unblocked, it turns out that there are many absolutely wonderful artists uh, that do beautiful work. And you find yourself thinking, how could they ever have been blocked? They were so wonderful. It so, is amazing. So I, you know, I went to this reading this morning, and one of the actresses at the reading, who was just brilliant, came up to me at the break and said, I'm halfway through your book. I'm dying to talk to you. <laughs> wow. So uh, I I don't think I, t- I teach creativity for dummies. Um, no, I, th- I don't think so. I think that uh, I do teach that we are all creative, and that has been my experience for 25 years. I've never run across someone who was genuinely non-creative. But some of us have an easier time of tapping into it. Yes, I think so. Um, Okay. Well, um, I was wondering if you would mind um, just doing a quick explanation of the morning pages and the artist state just for people who aren't familiar with it already. I'd, I'd like to explain three tools Oh, wonderful. Uh, The first tool is morning pages, and this is the tool that is sort of uh, the bedrock tool of a creative recovery. And what it is is three pages of longhand morning writing that you do first thing when you wake up, and it's about anything. So it's sort of like, good morning, today I'm grumpy, or good morning, uh, I forgot to to call my sister back and I didn't buy kitty litter. It it can be about anything. And you just let your pen sort of skitter across the page for three pages. Uh, Morning pages are uh, a a form, I would say, really of prayer and meditation. Uh, What we're doing, we're sort of notifying the universe what we like and what we don't like, what we want more of and what we want less of. We're sort of sending out a um, a little telegram, dot, 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 dot. <laughs> and uh, morning pages are private. They shouldn't be shown to anybody. Uh, they are simply you and your thoughts. Uh, and what they do is they miniaturize the censor or the critic uh, because when you start to do your morning pages, your critic will start babbling at you and saying, oh, you're so negative, oh, you're so grumpy, and you just say to the critic, thank you for sharing, and you keep <laughs> right on writing. And what this does is that it tra- it trains your censor that it has to learn to step aside and let you create. Wonderful. Thank you. So that's morning pages. Uh, And what we're really trying to do is build a radio kit. So the first tool is morning pages, and that's sending. 
The second tool is a tool called Artist Date, and uh, it's a tool of receiving. Uh, once a week, you go out by yourself and do something uh, that's festive and interesting to you. Uh, so it doesn't have to be high art. It just has to be something that, that could, sort of catches your fancy. So I have a lot of people um, who say that they they got a manicure, <laughs> uh, and that was their artist state. It was something that made them feel spoiled. Um, so what happens with an artist state is that you start to get uh, intuitions, and you begin to uh, you begin to get answers for the questions that you've posed in your morning pages. And then the third tool, which I didn't know when I wrote The Artist's Way. When I wrote The Artist's Way, I put exercise as in week 12. But after I had taught for another decade, I realized it should be right up there with the basic tools. So when I teach now, which I do every Wednesday, I have um, a, a handout that says, you will take two 20-minute walks. And right. when people walk, they integrate. So they they might walk out with a problem, but they might walk back with a solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's hard to stay uh, feeling overwhelmed when you're walking. <laughs> And a lot of a lot of my tools are tools that people instinctively use, you know. Yeah. And all that I have done is is made them very clear and deliberate. Well, I think the way that you've done it has really reached out to a lot of people, though. Um, even though they may have been doing it instinctively on some level, having a um, a format and something to follow, where when they do get blocked, they can go back and look at this and know what to do, I think has just been tremendously helpful. And um, you said that um, you talked earlier about artists who have become unblocked through this, and I was wondering if you have any favorite success stories about people um, who have become unblocked and then gone on to create things um, that they've later told you about. I uh, I was in Colorado Springs, and I was invited to go see a juried show. And it was a very large show. There were like 2,000 pieces that had been considered. And I, I, you know how it is when you see those juried shows, a lot of times you, you don't like the art that they picked. All right. But, uh, what happened was I, I absolutely loved the, the first place winner, and I wanted to um, meet, meet her. Uh, and so I was uh, shown over to a girl, and she she said, uh, yes, I did this work. And I said, oh, it's so wonderful. And she said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a writer. And she said, well, have you written anything I would know? <laughs> and I said, well, I wrote a book called The Artist's Way. And she said, oh, my God, I was blocked for 20 years. Wow. And I picked up your book, and uh, here I am now winning the juried show. 
She said, but what you really want to do is talk to the girl who came in second. And so I looked around and I saw the second place art and I also really loved it. Uh, And she said, she's not here right now, but if she were, she would tell you she was my college roommate. I mailed her the book. Wow. And so... So I I have quite a few stories like that. That's wonderful. And I one of the things that interests me about that particular story is that they're not writers, they're visual artists. And um, I think some people think because writing is one of the main tools um, that it might be just for writers. But you've actually said that sometimes it's the writers who have the most difficulty with the morning pages because they try to write them stylistically and, and make them artistic when that's really not what they're about. Is, is right. that right? Right. Yeah. Morning pages are really just sort of a housekeeping tool. It's like mm-hmm. you take a little whisk broom to your consciousness and you stick it into all the little corners of things that are troubling you and you whisk them out into the center of the floor where you can look at them. Uh, right. I, I think it's a lot like... Uh, you know, when people write in journals, uh, they typically set a topic. I'm going to write everything I feel about my mother. And then they write on mother for three pages. Right. When when people do morning pages, you don't set any topics. So you it's as though you have ADD. You go topic to topic to topic <laughs> to topic to topic to topic to topic. Uh, skittering all over the map. And is it significant to do the morning pages in the morning? I mean, obviously they're called morning pages, but... um... Right. I sometimes think I should say I've been teaching 25 years and I was wrong, and they should now be called evening pages. (laughs) Okay. But uh, the truth is that morning pages are morning pages because they prioritize the day you're going to have. Okay. And if you do them later in the day... You're talking about a day you've already had, and you're powerless to change. Okay, that's great. Um, I have a question. Um, you were talking earlier about how you teach every Wednesday, and um, I know that a lot of our listeners are also teachers and professors and writers and artists, and um, at time I think can feel like they're giving away so much of their own creative energy to teaching that they don't really feel like they have much left for their own art. And um, you've been a wonderful model for how to create that balance between mentoring and creating your own art in a way that they not only coexist, but they actually enhance each other. And I'm wondering um, what kind of advice you might have for others who are teaching and looking for that harmony between teaching and making art. Well, it's going to sound self-serving, but I would say work the artist's way. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you are doing uh, an artist date every week, it's hard to be too martyred, right? Uh, right. And if you're if you're consciously dealing with your own creativity on a daily basis, uh, you start to draw different boundaries with other people. Um, okay. So. Uh, and if you're out walking, you're going to come to your own thoughts eventually. You know, okay. you, you might you might walk out feeling sort of grumpy, 
but then you walk a little ways and you notice the wonderful petunias in the window box <laughs> or, or the great calico cat. Or you go over to the park and you see the squirrels sitting ramrod straight, waving their tails at you. And Wonderful. So, oh, go ahead, please. So, uh, if you if you use the the Artist Way toolkit, it goes a long way toward dismantling what I call the virtue trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, the virtue trap is when people uh, are too self-sacrificing. Okay. And a lot of teachers uh, have to have to learn how to nurture themselves, uh, and so I I often say that they need to stick to the basic tools, and when they do, they'll be rewarded. Well, I want to say as a follow-up to that that I think the last thing that you could be accused of is being self-serving because um, even at the end of The Artist's Way, you recommend that once people have read the book to just pass it on and uh, you make it clear that you're not interested in making money from that. You're just interested in helping people to make their art, and I think that's a wonderful thing. So um, I just wanted to clarify that. I I definitely wouldn't ever find you self-serving. Well, thank you. I had uh, when when the Artist Way came out, uh, I had an opportunity to franchise it. Oh wow! And, and uh, the people who had franchised Est uh, approached me and wanted to franchise the Artist Way, and I said no. I thought it should be free. Good. Uh, and uh, I do think that. Uh, that it should uh, be something where you can just start a group with a book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I mean, the the whole process, the way you've presented it, is very democratic. And um, the idea is that anyone can um, have a group and that there really shouldn't necessarily be a group leader, um, that you don't have to be trained to run a group. Um, anyone can make art, maybe not great art, maybe not the specific art that they want to make, but um, everyone can. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's made it so successful, um, that and the fact that obviously you're a practitioner, so um, you talk about that um, a lot. And, and um, the floor floor model, is that the name of it? Floor sample. My floor memoir. sample. Sorry. Yes. Um, oh, I love that. I was wondering if you could possibly read um, the beginning of Floor Sample to us. Yes, I think I can. Wonderful. And I'm thinking maybe read to about um, the beginning of the fourth page, maybe where the first full paragraph starts. And um, and then maybe you can talk to us about this idea of being the floor sample um, for your own methods and how that's contributed to their success. Okay, here we go. Thank you. The late afternoon sky is pewter. Wind whips through the Manhattan canyons. In Central Park, a single large ginkgo tree stands golden against the glowering clouds. Underfoot are the thickly fallen leaves of maple, oak, and ash. Gusts of wind send the leaves dancing. Dog owners like myself hurry their charges on their rounds. It is nearly Thanksgiving and the dark comes early. Perhaps because of all my school years, fall for me is a time of beginnings. 
The short, steep days send me tumbling into my past. I'm 57 years of age. Now I'm 62. Neither old nor young. My life has swept along on its tide, but now at the midpoint it is time to pick my way along the shoreline to see what of value has been washed up, which mementos should be pocketed and which cast aside. Mine has been a turbulent life, but it did not start out that way. I grew up in Libertyville, Illinois, in a large yellow house in the woods, an oversized, overstuffed English cottage. The house was made of fieldstone and wood, cold pride at the windows, dark gathered in the surrounding trees. As early as late September, fires were built in the three fireplaces to ward off the chill. Just outside the front door stood a large maple tree. When its leaves turned crimson, my mother would carefully press the best between sheets of waxed paper. These leaves were then tacked on our kitchen bulletin boards amid vivid charcoal drawings of Halloween. Fall was fierce, but my mother domesticated it. As the wind stripped the trees, my mother made simmering pots of vegetable soup. She baked shortbreads and berry pies. As early as October, she began her holiday baking, filling the downstairs freezer with a dozen different Christmas cookies, divinity, and fudge. Let's go to your house, my friends would say. Of course they did. Homemade cookies and frosty milk were staple after-school fare. If we felt daring, we raided the freezer. Christmas cookies tasted best a month or two before their time. Who's been after the Christmas cookies, my mother would interrogate us, but she always seemed secretly pleased by the chance to bake some more. When winter displaced fall, reading spots in front of the fireplaces were at a premium. The best locale was in our living room. There the reader could loll on a thick cafe au lait carpeting. A mesh screen protected the errant bookworms from flying sparks. Prodded by a wrought iron poker, the fire could be built to a snapping roar so hot that clothing singed. Don't crawl in the fire, my mother would warn. Pajamas were the favorite gear. What could be more idyllic than flannel pajamas and a new volume of Nancy Drew? Even better, the latest volume by Marguerite Henry, Mystery of Shinkoti, Sea Star, Brighty of Grand Canyon, or King of the Wind. Ours was a house filled with books. Just off the kitchen, the den was a snug reading room with floor-to-ceiling bookcases. Here were found the classics, Crime and Punishment, A Tale of Two Cities, Oliver Twist, Gulliver's Travels, and Rose Moore. The books in this room were leather-bound and gleamed in the light of the brass lamp that hung suspended from the ceiling. An overstuffed sofa, ideal for sprawling, ran wall to wall, bookcase to window. The only other furniture was Mother's writing desk and a straight-back chair. It was in the den that I first discovered Lawrence of Arabia striding through the pages of his memoirs. His hot Arabia was accompanied by cool jazz. Hidden behind a magic wooden panel, the stereo played Dave Brubeck for my father, or if my mother did the programming, the Nutcracker Suite. I went through an obsessive phase when all I wanted to hear was Ravel's Bolero. I choreographed my brothers and sisters dancing and dying. Either change the music or change the ending, my mother pressed me. I went back to reading. Upstairs in the long hallway that ran between the bedrooms, there was another floor-to-ceiling bookcase, and this one not for classics. Here was the family cache of mysteries and big popular potboilers like Exodus, The Listener, and Dear and Glorious Physician. Here was my brother's stash of Hardy Boys and my older sister Connie's Nancy Drews. 
I do not know that I read every book, but I do know that I tried. I still remember the giddy exhilaration I felt racing through the Reader's Digest condensed books, Three Tales to a Volume. Augmenting the books we owned were the books we borrowed. Once weekly, my mother would load us in the car, a navy blue Vista Cruiser station wagon, and drive us the two miles to Cook Memorial Library, where we were allowed to take out 14 books apiece, two per day. The library was a mansion donated to the village. It rose snowy white and stately amid splendid rose gardens. Outsides and in, it was a place of enchantment. The horse books were upstairs on the second floor, front. There, Walter Farley reigned supreme. The Black Stallion, the Island Stallion, the Island Stallion races. I read them all. I had a limitless appetite for horse books, and for books of all stripes, for that matter. Wow, that's just such beautiful lyrical prose, and I think it's it's so wonderful for people who are used to hearing your advice on how to write to actually hear your own writing. Um, so um, do you mind explaining a little bit about your concept of yourself as the floor sample? Well, you know, the way that The Artist's Way came about was uh, that I... Uh, in 1978, I got sober. Uh, I had spent 10 years uh, sort of drinking and writing, mm-hmm. and I, ha- I had a lot of confusion in those days with alcoholism and artistry uh, because, you know, many of our role models w- were alcoholics. Yes. So you, you think, well, drinking and writing go together like scotch and soda. And um, I finally recognized that the drinking was getting in the way of the writing and that I had to find a way to write sober. And so I began uh, trying to let something write through me. Uh, And I discovered that if I tried to let uh, a creative force work through me, that... I was able to write much more freely. And mm-hmm. as soon as I figured this out, I told it to my sister, who was a painter, and she tried to let something paint through her. And we did, we quickly discovered that um, the tools that worked to keep me unblocked as a person would work for other people as well. Uh, it was a little bit. I come from a large family, seven kids, and whenever wow. you would you would learn something, you would teach your siblings. That's great. And so I think that what happened with the artist way was I learned something and I turned around to teach my siblings, and my siblings being fellow artists. Great, great. That's wonderful. Um, it looks like we have a caller. I'm going to go ahead and see if I can bring this person on. Hello? Caller, are you on the air? Hmm. No, nobody there. Somebody got shy. <laughs> That's okay. Well, um, okay, so going back to the floor sample, I was wondering um, what, um, compelled you, what led you to realize that you wanted to or, or felt like it was a good time to write that book and tell your own story? Well, I think that what I'm trying to teach people 
is that they can make uh, a contact with a benevolent creative force and that uh, that's a personal thing and that everybody can have free access to it. Right. And one of the things that I wanted to do was sort of step out from behind. Uh, sometimes people have a tendency to to want a magic teacher, uh, somebody who's all-wise and all-knowing and has no problems and is just like a fairy godmother. And I wanted to say, no, I'm really an artist among artists. Uh, and my my tools work for me, uh, but they work for me because they've had to work for me uh, because of I've had a turbulent life. Right. And so uh, when, when Floor Sample came out, uh, the first review said I was an unfit mother. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. And so the, that's the bad criticism that we don't listen to, right? <laughs> well, it was just ruthless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I felt like I wonder what book they read since uh, my daughter and I are very close uh, and right. have always, you know, uh, lived together, worked together. Uh, I, she came to the reading with me this morning. Um, right. So uh, I wanted to to sort of step down off the pedestal, mm-hmm. and uh, I I thought that was healthy. And I yes, do, and, and I do think uh, that that the book is a healthy book for people. Yes, yes, I think so too, and it's. It's just so beautifully written, and it's honest and um, direct. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so um, I wanted to see if you would also read a couple of passages from Faith and Will, your new book that's excerpted in the June digital issue of The Ferret. And um, I had selected the passages on pages 42 and 172. Um, do you have those available? Just a second. 42 and 172. All right. How, uh, when artists speak of being the servant of their art? Yes. Uh, I, all right. I'd like to start on page uh, 41 at the very bottom. Okay. Terrific. Both Brahms and Puccini credited God with being the source of their flow of musical ideas. For both men, the term creator was quite literal. God was the great creator. They were the channel through which he worked. It was for them that simple and that workable. It can be that simple and workable for us if we will allow it. When artists speak of being the servant of their art, this is what we mean. Something larger or grander than ourselves seems to be working through us. Our job is to cooperate, that is to cooperate, to work with the intentions of the higher force that wishes something to be expressed. We may conceptualize this higher force as art or writing, music or painting. It doesn't really matter what we name it. What matters is that when it touches our consciousness, we yield the right of way. There is a sort of inner door that we alone can swing open. 
this door once nudged open can allow us to perceive a great deal of what we might call higher realms. Wonderful. Thank you. And um, I think you touch on um, the concepts of co-creation and um, the role of faith in making art. And um, I was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit. And Because I think to some people it's a new idea that maybe they are um, more of a conduit or a co-creator than just the... Um, you know, the, the antiquated idea that you mentioned earlier of the lone artist with the ancient typewriter and a bottle of scotch, you know. Um, so I sort well. of know the cliché because I live the cliché. <laughs> right, you right, know, but you overcame it. <laughs> so, um, so what is the idea, I mean, how are we co-creators with God in making art, and how can we tap into and access that in a practical way? I mean, how do we how do we just step aside and, and let that happen, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because I, I know a lot of people just sort of get in the way of their own art. <laughs> well, all right, again, this is where I'm going to send people back to the basic tools. I'm going to say, if you write your morning pages and your your sensor objects, as your sensor will, uh, and you say to your sensor, I, there's no wrong way to do this, and then you keep right on writing, mm-hmm. that, that becomes a portable skill. Then when you sit down to write something else, you and your sensor rears its head and says, this isn't any good, you can say to your sensor, Thank you for sharing, but I'm going to keep right on writing, <laughs> or I'm gonna I'm gonna keep right on painting. Right. Okay. Great. It looks like we have another caller. I'm gonna try one more time and see if this works. Um, okay. Hello. 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 Is there a caller on the air? Hello. I don't. Hello? It's, I think it's just the two of us. I guess so. I, it, it must not be functioning for some reason. Well, that's a shame. Um, maybe people can send in questions later, and I can mail some to you if um, if people were really disappointed about not being able to ask something. Um, okay. So um, going back to our conversation, um, could you talk a little bit about synchronicity as being a byproduct of co-creation and how that works? Well, one of the things that happens when we when we start working with the radio kit, you know, the morning pages and the artist dates, we begin to find ourselves sort of in the right time and in the right place. And we begin to... to uh, experience, if you will, what I would call sort of a higher octave. Uh, and uh, I'll give an example. I went on an artist date to a bookstore called The Complete Traveler. And I was in the back of the store and I saw a, a shelf full of books, you know, that were like 50 years old. And I saw one on Magellan and I took the book down and just on a whim I I bought the book and then I left on a on a book tour and I took the book with me 
and uh, I opened it up uh, when I was in Los Angeles in a hotel called the Shangri-La, which overlooked the Pacific Ocean. And mm-hmm. I I read a little bit of Magellan and uh, looked out at the ocean, and then I fell asleep, and when I woke up, I suddenly had a head full of music. Wow. And that, that's, that started me writing music that uh, occupied me for a decade. Wow. You know, you've been so prolific, and you've um, written in so many different genres. Um, is there any specific genre that is just um, easiest for you or that you feel the most compelled to write in? And um, how do you decide when you start writing? Does the work just sort of let you know after a while what format it's going into, or do you do you start off thinking you're writing a novel and end up writing a play? Um, how does that work for you? Usually they tell you what they are mm-hmm. pretty fast. At the beginning? <laughs> you okay. know, uh, it'll say, I'm a play. Right. And you'll find yourself writing a play. Um, I... I I can't uh, emphasize enough that if you use the tools, uh, you will you will find yourself getting unblocked in sort of uh, many different stripes. Right. You, you know, you might. Uh, I was on book tour uh, when I got the idea for my novel Mozart's Ghost, which oh, is. Oh yeah which is newly out in paperback. I love that book. Um, I actually was going to ask you a few questions about that. Um, I know um, when I first looked at the cover and I saw Erica Chong's comment that it was heartbreakingly funny, I just thought, well, how on earth could something be heartbreakingly funny? Um, And then I started reading it, and I discovered this woman, this character who believes that she's been dumped by the man who lives upstairs and he's up there practicing practicing his piano 24-7 so she has to sit there all day listening to this beautiful music coming from this man who broke her heart and it, it is, it's literally heartbreakingly funny oh, thank um, and you. I think, oh, it's just it's really, it, it just really touched me I really connected to it in so many ways and um, I think it's very universal too, um, that feeling and I was wondering um, if when you were writing it, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I noticed that it was just completely full of metaphors and examples of your own theories for making art. Um, you know, the medium is like sort of like a metaphor for channeling creativity. Um, Mrs. Murphy is an artistic mentor. Um, the letters and short chapters are kind of like the bursts of morning pages. Um, we even have the pianist who works through this intense artistic resistance and I was wondering if these things were operating at a conscious level for you when you were writing the book or if they just sort of naturally unfolded. I want to say that I was on book tour when I started writing the book Uh, and I I started out uh, with just writing out the first time it happened she was at her grandmother's house and and I describe Anna's first haunting. And mm-hmm. um, then I said to myself, wow, this sounds like a novel. 
Then I said to myself, well, I can't do any research for it uh, because I'm on book tour. I'm going city to city to hotel room to hotel room to hotel room. So I made a rule for myself that everything in the book had to come from what was already in my consciousness. Wow, that's great. Are you still there? I'm here. Okay, great. It's, there was a clicking noise. I thought for a minute we got disconnected. Well, it just it worked out beautifully, I think, and um, the, the characters are just so compelling. I mean, when I finished it, I just thought, oh, gosh, I wonder if there will be a sequel because <laughs> I want to know more about these characters. What's the next thing that happens to them? Um, have you thought about that yet? Well, uh, I wrote a sequel, and uh, hopefully someday somebody's going to want to publish it. Um, oh, great. But first of all, people have to read uh, Mozart's Ghost in sufficient numbers to justify a sequel. Right. Well, I definitely recommend it to anyone who's listening. Um, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Well, thank so, you. You're welcome. Um, uh, also, another. I loved that, writing it. I had a very, very good time. Uh, that's that's the best way, isn't it? Um, it? Would you say maybe that that's one of the things that lets you know that you really are in the act of co-creating? If, if you're enjoying it at that level, um, does that make a difference? Do you think? Well, I think uh, I think you get sort of tickled. Uh, you know, uh, to use an old-fashioned word for it, uh, mm-hmm. y- you're writing along and you go, oh, this is, oh, oh! <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have a little bit of sense of surprise uh, as the work unfolds. Right, right. Yes, definitely. Um, I am going to try one more time to let a caller through uh, because I see a different number this time, and if this doesn't work, then, then we'll just not try again. So, um, Hello, caller? Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, yes. hi. <laughs> yes, hello. Success. <laughs> Wonderful. You know, your voice sounds familiar. Um, who is this? Uh, this is Jeffrey. Jeffrey, okay, uh, great. Davis. Thanks for calling. Good to hear from um, you. It's good to hear. It's good. Good to hear you, Melissa and Julia. Thank you for um, for letting us listen to you and and uh, for this interview. Um, I just had a brief question um, that comes from a book you wrote several years ago called The Right to Write, which I've enjoyed so much. Just oh, often thank picking you. up. And, yeah, yeah, and uh, one particular chapter that resonated with me was on uh, vulnerability, which is not something many writers really admit or, or write much about. And uh, you just had this um, this beautiful passage I just wanted to ask you to elaborate on about um, as, as more and more of us take to the page, we explore and express our honest vulnerabilities, and we become more open to the human condition in ourselves and others. And you, you talk about how in that process, we render ourselves compassionate and discover um, that what we have begun to say is only the beginning of, quote, write, writing things, R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, making a, a, a pun there. Um, so I just wanted to hear you hear more of your thoughts about um, compassion, which is a subject dear to my heart. 
um, and and writing. You know how how we know we're writing rightly, so to speak, and and how that um, is related to compassion in your practice. Well, I think uh, the first thing is tenderness. Uh, that uh, all too often when we uh, when we set about looking at ourselves, we feel that we've come up short. And we judge ourselves very harshly. And we tell ourselves, I should be doing more this. And uh, when you start to have more tenderness, you start to say to yourself, um, how do you really feel? What are you really interested by? What are you frightened by? What's keeping you from the page? Um, I have an exercise called Blasting Through Blocks. It's in the back part of the artist's way. And it's an exercise where uh, you, when you have a piece of work to do, you, uh, you write down what you're fears and your angers and your resentments are about that piece of work and put the act of putting these things on the page uh, is an act of vulnerability and as you do that it it frees you to write mm-hmm that's yeah. That I I can see that. I it just renders you even more open. Thank uh, thank you, thank you so much for answering that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, thanks for calling in, Jeffrey. Thank you, Melissa. Bye. Okay. Hi. Um, I have a, another question about um, deadlines. Um, I know sometimes people, um, artists and writers, are working with deadlines in order to complete work. Somebody is asking them to have it done at a specific time. And um, I'm wondering if you have any special advice for people who are working with deadlines on how to stay open and not get sort of um, cramped up by the deadline, something you know that would keep them from getting in that position where they feel like they just have to hammer something out that may even be a little artificial just to meet the deadline. Um. Okay, so we're back again to the tools. Um, uh, well, I'm just wondering if there's anything additional for someone who's, who's working with a deadline that um, no, they should advise. I'm going to answer that. Uh, okay, I, I was saying that we are back again to the tools. Oh, yes. And that the tool that specifically relates to this is taking an artist state. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what the artist state does is that it refills the well. And uh, when you make a piece of art, uh, whether it's uh, painting, photography, uh, writing, you're you're sort of fishing out of an inner well for images. Mm-hmm. And when you're on a deadline. Uh, the temptation is to skip your artist date and quote bear down right and instead what i would say is double your artist date okay try and take an extra one uh, okay because you're fishing from the well 
and what you want to do is get images back in the well so that when you go to scoop them out, they come out more easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. I, I think that's good advice. And I know that people who are working with deadlines typically feel like, oh, I have to just burrow in here and get this done, and I can't get it, do anything else until it's done. And sometimes just um, taking a break will really help. Yes. Um, I was wondering, uh, you've been such an amazing mentor and inspiration to so many other people. Is there anyone in particular who was uh, an inspiration or a mentor for you? Oh, yes. Um, I, have a, uh, I have had some wonderful ones. Um, I had a director friend uh, named John Newland, mm-hmm. uh, and... Newland was just a very bold and brave director, uh, and he loved my plays. And oh, we we worked together several times, uh, and then he died. Uh, and uh, I will, before he died, he said to me, "You will always be able to reach me, Julia." Wow, <laughs> that's wonderful. And then I have uh, a, a wonderful mentor and friend named Juliana McCarthy. Uh, Juliana is uh, an actress. Uh, mm-hmm. And another actress friend named Jane Cecil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sort of selfish. Juli- Juliana is in California time, so I can call her then. Okay. And Jane is New York time. Oh. <laughs> so I... I sort of am lucky I have 24-7. And yeah, then, that is nice. Uh, I have a, a girlfriend named Sonia Choquette, uh, whom you might want to interview. She's a wonderful psychic. Uh, How do you spell her last name? C-H-O-Q-U-E-T-T-E. Okay, thank you. And um, I helped her with, with getting her writing career launched, and she helps me stay on track. You know, if I call her up and say I feel little and threatened, she'll say, right. "You're you're doing fine. Ask spirit to make you larger." Wow, that's wonderful. Well, um, sort of as a follow-up to the way you answered that question, um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the importance of community for the artist. I couldn't talk about anything that mattered more. Um, You know, that's, I think, what the artist's way aims at, is creating community. Uh, And uh, I have a, a phrase that I use called believing mirrors, and mm-hmm. believing mirrors are people who mirror back to yourself your own potential and your strength. And uh, if you tell them, I'm going to try something, they say, I bet you can do it. Uh, yeah. So f- for me, uh, Jane, Julie, John, Sonia, uh my sister Libby, uh, who was the fir- the first painter that got unblocked using the tools. Yeah. Well, that's that's great, and I do. I I think it is so important for people to not just 
be off in the room by themselves trying to create and, and not having that support um, that it can make the difference between um, you know something coming to um, light and not coming to light so um, yeah and they they are very important uh, in that they are able to believe in you when you are unable to believe in yourself oh that's an excellent point yeah you know uh, Mozart's ghost uh kept getting almost bought mm-hmm. and uh you know an editor would fall in love with it but wouldn't be able to get it through committee uh okay. and this went on endlessly and i was getting very discouraged and sonia the psychic friend of mine kept saying julia i see this book i see it getting published keep trying keep trying uh, and we kept trying and finally St. Martin's Press and another press both wanted it oh perfect <laughs> uh, but that was after quite a few turndowns um, well I think that probably is a wonderful story for um, people who are just getting started as artists and writers to hear because um, they probably think oh if I just had um, a successful book like The Artist's Way, I could just write anything and publish it, and they would be clamoring, and it's, it's good to know that it is kind of um, case by case and that we're all out there um, trying and, um, you know, trying to get our work out there and have it be successful and be heard and read. Um, it looks like we have another caller. I'm going to go ahead and try to take this. Um, hello? Hi, Melissa. It's Hi. Anna. Hi, Julia. Hi, Donna. Hi, Hi Donna. Thank, thank you very Donna's much. Donna's our publisher. Yeah, and Julia, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, you're um, very welcome. Your book, The Artist's Way, was a milestone in my life and many years ago, and I saw you um, last year at Omega. Um, and I, your teaching in person is as influential and kind and compassionate as your writing is in your books, and I wondered if you could speak for a moment about um, comparing speaking to a class to writing um, and whether you're opening yourself up the way that you do when you write on the computer or on paper. Well, uh, it's an interesting thing. Uh, Before I teach, I always pray. Uh, you know, dear dear God, you know, let me do a good job. Let me be of service. Please tell me what you want me to teach tonight. And I never get an answer. It's it's like radio silence. And I get scared. And then I get up to teach. And right as I am standing there to teach, I get an intuition. And so it never seems to come early. Mm-hmm. It seems to come exactly when it's needed. Uh-huh. And so it's a very much a, uh, becomes a moment-by-moment moment, uh, process. Uh-huh. Uh, and in that sense, it's very similar to writing. You know, it, I basically think that both teaching and writing is a form of listening, 
uh, you're you're kind of keep your ear cocked to see what wants to come through you. Yeah. And uh, so I I feel that they're very similar. Yes. And when you so you don't do much planning then before you give a lecture. Well, I I I do do planning, but. Uh, it goes out the window. Uh huh. Well, I know certainly at the workshop last spring, it was just, it was wonderful, and and you broke us up into small groups, and I saw people who had not done any writing before just blossom in what they were producing. Um, and I, you know, I thank you again just for being on the show and for helping me and many other writers. So thank you, Julia. Well, you're very welcome, and I do think. Uh, you know, when you talk about when I teach, I break people into clusters yep. and get them to listen to each other. Yes, that uh, was a wonderful experience. I still have good friends from my little clusters last spring. So. Well, see, that's the point. Yeah. Uh, you know, I teach uh, Wednesday nights at the Open Center here in New York, uh-huh. and uh, classes come together, and sometimes... Uh, they they want to hear from me, and I say, no, really, we want to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, and great. it's and, yeah. it's sort of a training process uh, of getting them to trust the tools and trust each other, and to to find uh, that they are definitely led, and that there is synchronicity involved in who they are sitting with. Yes. Definitely true. I see a question has come up on the chat room too, so I'm going to hang up. Um, thank you. And I'll okay, Donna. Okay. Bye bye. 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 Thank you. Um, I was just noticing that we only have um, about two minutes remaining until our airtime is gone, and um, I just wanted to know if there was anything that you wanted to announce, um, any new publications coming out or upcoming events. Ah, I, well, I'm teaching at Omega uh, up in Rhinebeck uh, okay. at, at the end of July. Uh, and I'm, I have to go to Colorado to give a speech. Uh, and I could definitely use some prayers. Okay. Uh, so when is that in Colorado? Uh, it's in a week. Okay. Okay. So uh, anybody who has any extra prayers uh, hanging out uh, could could send them my direction. That would be great. Uh, and I'm hoping uh, that your enthusiasm for Mozart's ghost uh, may mean that some people will explore that. Well, I think so. I, I know that, that I've really, really enjoyed it. So I definitely recommend it. Um, thank you so much for being with us today. I can't tell you what a pleasure it was to talk to you. And, yes, um, it was great. In, yeah, you've just been such an inspiration to so many people. You probably even just get sick of hearing that, don't you? <laughs> well, it's it's wonderful when a, an artist like this morning, the actress, came up to me and said, I'm halfway through, I love it. <laughs> you know, uh, that makes me feel very happy because I'm watching her flourish. It's like yes. watching a garden grow. Yes, absolutely. That's so wonderful. Well, thank you so much, and um, good luck with everything. Good luck with getting the sequel published, and I hope to be able to talk to you again. 
All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I just want to close by letting everyone know that our next interview will be with poet Jude Rittenhouse on August 17th at 7 p.m. and also that Tepera's June digital issue is available at our website, www.tiferetjournal.com, where you can subscribe or join our community. A year subscription to Tepera is just $18 and includes six issues, two print and four digital. The site is also a great place for people to post their own poetry, as our editors feature one new poem each day from those who post. Thank you so much for being with us today. We hope you'll join us again in August. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 